Welcome to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm Dr. Carol Perlman, a psychologist, health coach, and married mom of two boys. I went from a frazzled mompreneur who hits news until the last possible moment to a vibrant business owner who jumps out of bed at 5 a.m. excited about my day. I once felt completely overwhelmed by my endless task list, but have learned how to work smarter, not harder, by studying health habits, mindset, and time management. I love to teach others how to implement top recommendations for health, happiness, and success. Yes, busy moms can learn how to stop picking at your kids' leftover food, create a daily exercise routine, and stay on top of the to-do list so you go to bed feeling fantastic about your day. Tune in each week as I share my best strategies for creating and sustaining daily habits for a healthy lifestyle and chat with other experts in the health and wellness industry. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Perlman. This is the Healthy Habits for Life show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Healthy Habits for Life podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Perlman, and I'm so excited to have with me today Dr. Deborah Cohen. She is a wealth of information and has such an incredible expertise. I'm excited to learn from her today. So welcome, Deborah. Thank you. Let me, before we get into things, let me tell people a little bit more about you. Deborah is an award-winning leader in developing and delivering creative, innovative curriculum and instruction for project-based learning. Dr. Cohen has more than 25 years of experience creating and conducting educational programs for K-12 students and adult learners, including workforce development and training programs, core curriculum and academic enrichment classes for K-12 students, and workshops for parents and teachers. Dr. Cohen served for nine years as the teacher of the gifted program for middle school students in a top-ranked public school district, facilitating students' award-winning work for state and national academic competitions, including National History Day and Future Problem Solving International. Her experience also includes serving as an instructional coach, providing professional development opportunities and advising teachers with various areas of their practice, encompassing curriculum development, differentiation, and implementation. She also spent decades in workforce development training, workforce development training and education in corporate environments, and has extensive expertise in results-driven marketing and sales management for B2B and don't explain this to us, B2B and B2B <laughs> organizations and a broad range of audiences. In addition to the focus on creativity and innovation of her doctoral degree from Drexel University, Dr. Cohen holds a graduate certificate in gifted and talented education from Rutgers University, a master's of arts in teaching from National Lewis University, and a bachelor's degree from Northwestern University. Dr. Cohen is currently an educational consultant in Washington, D.C. Oh my goodness, you have had quite the career. <laughs> I have, and that doesn't include what I did before I became a teacher. So um, yeah, lots, lots of things, and I like to draw on all that experience. Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing some of, um, some of your expertise. And so let me back up for a moment and just sort of explain why I invited you um, for this interview. So we've been talking on this podcast all about healthy habits. And um, not only for ourselves, but also for our families and our kids. And you know, a lot of people listening have kids and are really thinking a lot about how do we help our kids. It's been a crazy, crazy year, as you and I were just talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and it's impacted kids in a lot of different ways. And so I know it's on our minds. How do we help our kids? How do we help them thrive mentally, physically, emotionally? And I'm really intrigued about the work you do because, um, you know, because of your 
expertise working with gifted kids. And a lot of people don't know a lot about that. There are very few people who do that kind of work. So you're really a gem. And I'm looking forward to hearing some of your ideas that are going to help people who, you know, we just don't hear a lot about this. Um, We'll be talking about um, developing creativity and helping to not embellish what's the right word, bring out. um, Yeah, enhance. Enhance, yeah, creativity in kids and really nurture, nurture that. Mm -hmm. So so this is going to be great. So tell me a little bit about all these different roles that you've had and, you know, the work that you're really passionate about. Mm-hmm. So, um, the work that I'm most passionate about is my teaching that I do. And my teaching has been, um, mainly with middle school students. Um, and that's where I got involved in gifted education because, um, I had been involved in gifted programs growing up. My own kids were involved in gifted programs. And it seems that there is, um, depending upon where you are, And I think a lot of people can relate to this, depending upon what school district you're in, you either have services for gifted students or you may not have services for gifted students. And some areas will have um, programs for academic enrichment that are part time and some places have things daily and it really varies. And to me, that was a really interesting topic to delve into, to focus on when I became a teacher, when I left marketing, which is where B2B, which is business to business Mm -hmm. and B2C, which is business to consumer marketing came in. So when I was in the corporate world, I was always training and, and mentoring and working with um, salespeople and advertising people to help them do their jobs. And then um, when I left the corporate world and became a teacher, I did so so I could work with kids. And then specifically, my focus has been on the gifted. And what's been interesting. I think, well, you know, you hear this term gifted tossed Mm -hmm. a lot, but I think not everybody really understands what that means. So can you give, I don't, I think we need more than just a definition, but a conceptualization, you know, what does this really entail? Um, So, hmm, okay. Well, it's good. You're not asking for a definition because I would have to really consult someone to give you that picture perfect definition. Um, But giftedness really, uh, we are in the United States, which is the only place I can speak to. In the United States, we have giftedness, um, which is really what we call locally normed. And local norms mean that in one school district, a child who's achieving at X level, academic level, will be considered gifted or academically talented, which I think is perhaps a better phrase for it. Um, But it could be that in the neighboring school district, they have a different standard. Mm -hmm. So it can be really interesting. For example, my family, we moved our kids from one state to another when one child was in middle school and one child was in high school. And um, the, the, gifted programs that were offered were different based upon the state and the school district. Um, and the, the level of academic rigor was also different based upon the state and the school district. So, but that's academic giftedness. And as we all know, there can also be artistic giftedness and musical giftedness. And, um, 
So I was trained um, and I subscribed to the work of an educational philosopher um, who runs a program at the University of Connecticut, Dr. Joseph Renzulli. And he believes that really what you should do, yes, there is this concept of giftedness and you can say it you have to have XYZ test or score such and such on an IQ test, but wouldn't it be a better idea to offer academic enrichment for all students? And then those students for whom it's an appropriate opportunity will take advantage of that. And um, it, it depends. Some school districts will have what's called a replacement program where students who are are determined to be gifted based on whatever that that measure is. And hopefully it's not just one measure. It's more than one measure, like a parent recommendation, a teacher recommendation, and some sort of, of testing um, or analysis. Um, so those students may be pulled out of regular classes and put into a replacement class. Or um, it could be the type of program that I taught in my most recent school district in New Jersey, which was um, academic, specific academic enrichment, which is on top of regular classes. And then other school districts may offer things that are more like clubs, um, and those are considered their gifted program. Um, when I moved to what was at that time called junior high when I grew up, um, the gifted program in seventh grade was to do a research project for the entire year. And this was in the age of typewriters and note cards. And so I can write note cards and use correct type like nobody's business because I did a project about copper enameling a million years ago. That was their idea of a gifted program. Wow. I don't think that would fly today. Yeah. Hello friends, it's Carol Perlman coming on to say hello and thank you so much for listening. I hope you've been enjoying these episodes as much as I've enjoyed creating them for you. I wanted to make sure you knew about a special program that is currently being offered on my website. If you go to www.healthybenumber4lifebycarolperlman.com, you'll see more information about my current time management classes. If you follow me on social media, if you listen to my podcast, you know that I believe time management is behind almost every single one of your goals. And the more you can perfect your skills in time management, the more successful you're going to be in reaching your goals. I have created what I believe is a really outstanding class. I've been studying time management for years. I've been perfecting my own system and I've been teaching others for almost 15 years now. I created an online course, a 21-day habit formation course that is now available to you. They, quote unquote, they say it takes 21 days to create a new habit. And I find that that is often time the case. So go look on the website, healthyforlifebycarolperlman.com, and you will see current offerings. I have several different time management classes for specific audiences. But the general one is just the It's About Time, Time Management class. You'll see all the details there. You'll see the upcoming start date. And there's always the opportunity to buy the workbook and complete the course as a self-paced course and take it at your own speed. It's one exercise a day. All you need to commit is 10, maybe 15 minutes a day. Step by step, you will create new habits that last a lifetime for better time management. Check it out. 
and I hope to see you in one of the classes. Thanks again for listening. Well, what I think is so interesting is number one, that it's it's so hard to quantify and measure and that the standard can be different from one district, one state to another. So that's complicated. Mm-hmm. And for people who don't know, um, you know, in order to assess academic performance, there are two different measures that are most commonly used. So there's um, an IQ test, a standardized IQ test that measures innate ability, like gen- general capability. And then there are achievement tests that measure, okay, how is the student actually performing? And you can see a lot of different patterns when you compare the two. So I think if, if people think about giftedness, a lot of times they think about that, like where did the person fall on the IQ test? But I've done some reading on it this pa- these past couple of years. And what is really fascinating to me is that there's really a syndrome of giftedness that goes so much further beyond just IQ. And I had never heard about this. I mean, you just don't hear a lot about this. And maybe now you hear a little bit more about, um, what is it called? Neurodivergent kids, I think mm-hmm. is the term that I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. But um, so do you see that, you know, the, the emotional component, they're wired. A lot of gifted kids or academically gifted kids are wired very differently emotionally. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you see about that. So, and it's not just the academically gifted. If you think about it, think about students who are gifted in the fine arts. Um, you know, we've always thought about, oh, this person has this artistic persona, right? And that also plays into this whole social emotional component that we have for giftedness. So it's really, it's the academic piece or the, or wherever your giftedness lies. It could be that academics or it could be music or art or you know, any of these, um, what Howard Gardner called multiple intelligences. Um, and then there's also the social emotional component. And luckily schools are trying to focus more for all students on social emotional learning. Um, but with the gifted, what we've found is that there's, there's definitely a very strong tendency towards perfectionism. There can be a lot of self doubt, um, uh, and, and part of that is really what society has done to gifted students, where if you're the kid that's always making A's and is always at the top of the class, and then suddenly you have a bad day and you, you know, something happens and you either you fall off your, your academic performance, or maybe you just have a meltdown cause it's your turn to have a meltdown at that particular time. Um, it, nobody was really looking at that and, and figuring out how to handle it. And so really there are a lot of gifted students and really we're not just talking students, gifted adults. There are a lot of gifted individuals in the world who are wired somewhat differently than what we would call neurotypical individuals. Um, And they respond to things differently. Sometimes they have more intensive responses. Um, It's kind of, it's almost as if somebody's taken a volume dial and sort of turned it up for everything and across the board. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you know, terrific. So you're able to achieve at this stellar level academically or you are a phenomenal violin player, or you are the most amazing illustrator for a 12 year old that, that exactly. And, but with that tends to come this emotional component as well, that really, that 
perhaps helps you with that intensity for the academics or the other things that you're doing, but also parents and teachers and peers need to sort of be aware that that's kind of how things are. And um, which is why I, I feel it's so important for, especially students, it's really important for these kids to find what we call their tribe, mm-hmm. right? It's really, it's, it's one thing for them to be the smartest kid in the class and the person that everybody says, oh, okay, if you need an answer for that math problem, you should ask this particular student. Um but then it's really important for them to find their peers and to be able to talk with other kids about the things that interest them. And But at the same time, it's important for teachers and parents to recognize that, seek out those, those other kids or those like-minded individuals um, and offer them those opportunities and make sure that we're there, not only giving them the opportunity to feed whatever need it is that they have, from their giftedness, but also to work on those social emotional skills. Yeah. Yeah. I read something. Um, so I love how you put that, you know, that the dial, the volume dial is just turned up. So they experience everything in an intense, in an intense way. So when they get mad, they get really mad. When they get Mm -hmm. sad, they might get really sad. And when they get happy and joyful, they get really, really happy. Or when they're feeling when they're funny, they're really, really funny. It's everything um, in extreme. But the other interesting thing that I read recently was that it can feel like they're multiple ages at the same time. Mm. Like, um, and the concept of, um, is it asynchronous development? You know, that they yes. must be highly achieving in one area, like you said, all these different um, areas of giftedness, but then in other areas, they could be really far behind. And how confusing is that for both the kid and people who live with a kid or people who teach a kid (laughs) when you don't know what to expect, you know, they're, they're, they're all over the place. It's really complicated. It's very complicated. And you bring up a really good point because asynchronous development is pervasive, um, in gifted populations. And, Um, And if you think about it, it makes sense because you may have someone who is naturally inclined to achieve in a certain area, uh, but they might be 10. And so they're, they're achieving, they're doing math for 15 and 16 year olds, but they're still 10. And, um, and it's kind of like um, when my kids were in daycare, there were there was a student who was much taller than any of the other kids. And she's still much taller than any of the other 20 somethings. And, um, and so this poor child, people thought that she was older than she actually was. And um, so they expected a certain level of behavior and a certain level of ability out of her, but she was still three years old. And so when I think of gifted kids, um, it's very much the same kind of thing. It's very much that, you know, you can, I I had students who would sit around and they would talk about um, the stock market with each other. And they're, you know, they're analyzing things as if they were quants working for a Wall Street firm, but they were 12, you know, and in the next minute they're, they're, you know, yanking on each other's t-shirts to, to do goofy things. And so, and that can be a real challenge, not just for, as you said, not just for the the student or the person 
who's displaying that behavior, but also for the people in their lives. And so an awareness of that is, is really key. Life changing. Really critical. Yeah. So, um, okay. So this was very helpful. So we've kind of established what giftedness is and some of the unexpected ways it might play out that if, you know, if you have a child and I'm, I'm hoping, you know, that people listening, um, that there may be people like this out there who, you know, who see some of these behaviors in their kids, but they haven't strung it all together to understand the full picture. And maybe we will help some people do that because a lot of these pieces of the puzzle are not very clear and um, obvious. And so it's really life-changing when you can put the pieces together. So, um, so you have been really immersed in this, in your work and teaching and, and really specialized with this population. So as you know, I'm trying to help people listening, think about habits, you know, ways we can help our kids day in and day out, you know, the small things that you can do to, and, uh, and to create better well-being, and what what you mentioned to me was that this idea of nurturing creativity can go such a long way in in um, promoting well-being, especially for a gifted population. So, can we talk a little bit more about that? Why creativity and providing outlets for creativity is so important? Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, so, there has been a lot written recently about creativity. Um, unfortunately, this past year with the pandemic, our schools have had to really focus on core curriculum and um, some of the more creative opportunities have gone by the wayside, understandably, because not all students have been in school and it's just been a challenging year for everyone. Um, so, but it's possible for, um, for schools, but also for parents to be able to help kids bring out that creativity in themselves, to build the creativity, um, as well as to enhance the creativity that they already have there. And uh, it's been said that if no one is going to be creative or innovative, we're never going to come up with anything new. So um, much as it's important for our kids to be learning all of the things that they're being taught in school, it's also really important for them um, to be able to flex those creative muscles and to build their creative muscles. So I've been trying during the past year to offer opportunities and work with students to try to help them with those creative, um, creative tendencies. And, um, there are ways, there are really actually easy ways that parents and families can work to help enhance this for their kids. Okay. So let's get into it. So what would be one place to start? So I think the first and the easiest place to start is to talk with your kids, no matter how old your students are. I'm sorry, I keep calling them students, no matter how old your children are. Um, as parents, we sometimes forget that it's great to talk to our kids and they really want to talk to us, even when they feel like they don't want to. When your 13-year-old wants to go sit in his or her room and be on their devices 24-7, um, they really still want to talk to you and they would enjoy time together with you and time um, and an opportunity to be heard. And so it's important to talk with them, to help them decode and decipher things that are going on. It's important to talk to them about different 
um, ways of problem solving. If they're talking about something that was going on in school, something that someone did, something that the teacher said, um, you can talk with them about alternate ways to um, to come up with solutions to different things. And that can help spark creativity for them. That enables them and encourages them to really think, which is what you want to do. You want to grow good thinkers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. Um, so in a previous episode, my friend and colleague, Jackie Borpal was on and she said the same thing. You know, the top thing that you can do for your kids' health is spend time with them and, you know, just put the devices away, just sit down next to them, even five minutes, five minutes and just spend that time with them. So that's great to hear you echo the same message. Um, and then I know you've also talked about reading, encouraging kids to read. So tell me about your thoughts about that. So... Um, We're coming up on summer faster than anyone wants to think about it. And um, all of our kids are going to have recommended readings for school. And there's always that reading list that comes home, especially for secondary kids. Um, But we all know that there's, there's reading that teachers encourage for elementary school as well. And that's great as a starting point. But it's also really important for students to be able to choose what they want to read. And so, and it's enlightening too for their parents to, um, we may not be able to go to the library, but you can go to your local library's website and make sure your, your child has a library card and you can go to your local library's website and help them find books that feed their interest and speak to their passions. And when they have the opportunity to read and read things that they have chosen, then that's going to help spark their creativity. That's going to help them come up with innovative ideas of things that interest them and things they might want to do. And it's important for parents to take a look at the types of books their kids are reading and see, are they picking all sorts of books about architecture? Are they really into plants? Are they, um, are they reading any every single one of the warriors books because they're interested in fantasy that revolves around these warrior cats? And um, that really can help parents really gain an insight into how they can help build that creativity for their kids through the reading that they're doing. Okay, here's the million dollar question for you. What do you do if you have children who hate to read. I knew you were going to say that. Um, so this has always been a challenge, especially for parents of boys. Um, and so I can tell you that the research shows um, that boys prefer to read fantasy and nonfiction. And So it's interesting. You might be able, I think, for reluctant readers or for semi-reluctant readers, it can be really helpful to take that reading and tie it to something that maybe can be a family activity. Maybe you can find a book about a local historic site or some local event that's happening, read the book together, and then go participate in or go experience whatever it is that's in that book. 
I can't say that that will work all the time. Um, well, I but always that, like that idea of, of family, of reading together as a family or having family time and saying, okay, everybody's going to do it. We're going to model it for you. Mom and dad are going to put their mm-hmm. devices away and, and we're going to, you know, flop down on the sofa and get into a book. Mm-hmm. And it's, there's, there's also a lot of research that shows that even kids who are, older, old enough to read on their own, um, they still like to be read to. And there are picture books out there that I used to use in my classroom with six to eighth graders, and they would love it. And it was like Dr. Cohn's story time, because I would sit up in a chair and all the students would sit on the floor around me. It was kind of like, you know, nursery school again, but in the meantime, they loved it. And you talk about the books on a different level. So if you have a student who's interested in environmental issues, there are a lot of picture books, even as a jumping off point that are about conserving water or protecting the environment and to have the opportunity to read that together and then use that as a jumping off point for a family field trip or a project that you might do building a rain garden in the backyard Um, if those kind of things are interesting to your child, it's almost like, um, there's a term in education called backward design where you know where you want to be and you work it backwards. And so let's say, you know, that you have a child who is really into the outdoors and nature, and you happen to have this muddy part of your backyard, um, you might be able to channel that interest into creating a rain garden. And so you can kind of step that back and then do some reading together about rain gardens. And maybe depending upon how old your child is, that might lead to reading something about an environmentalist who decides to harness water from the air, which is being done in Africa, or um, you know, different projects around the world to conserve water or or you know, farm in different ways. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of interesting to take a look and work backwards that way and see really what lights up your child. Mm -hmm. And that can make it not only fun for your child, but fun for you as the parents. Yeah, I can definitely see that. All right. What about other thoughts on um, other non-technology related ideas Mm -hmm. um, spark creativity or to engage kids in creative ways? Right. Because it's really important. I am a huge fan of devices and my 20 something children are constantly telling me that I need to put down my phone. Um, So I'm not saying that I'm anti-devices. However, it's important, especially for developing brains, to make sure that we are putting down those devices. So those non-electronic ideas are really key. We've lost some of those in the past year because some of those opportunities obviously haven't been available for us to go to in person. Hopefully some of that will be opening up soon. Although, um, you know what? I mean, you and I were talking a little bit before we recorded on this. This past year also set the stage for things that we would never have done. So things like the sidewalk chalk, the, um, what was that called? The, um, not stencil, but, um, like stained glass window sidewalk chalk. Did you see that? Oh, 
Yes. Yeah. Yes. So we did a ton of that and baking and, you know, the kids learning how to cook and measure and, and bake. And we did so much of that in art projects that we would never have done had we not had all that time at home. Right. I actually was reading something the other day about the fact that um, kids have had the opportunity to build life skills in ways that they haven't before. You know, I think every school district in the country has a curriculum in life skills, which is a little bit of cooking, a little bit of sewing, a little bit of nutrition, that sort of thing. But to have had the experience of doing this as a family for the past year, I think you're right, has been really invaluable. Um, so we should definitely not discount that. Um, and we should also, like you mentioned, baking. Um, you know, how many people have started baking sourdough? Well, the the process by which um, flour and water ferments and creates an agent that helps other flour and water to rise. That's a scientific project right there. And um, you could do a whole little family project for a day on baking yeah. something and, um, and on measurement and things like that. And that, that really can be fun and terrific learning for kids. Um, it'll be interesting, just like we were saying, we, we may not know for another generation, but it'll be interesting to see if this generation of students who were at home for a year with mom and dad, helping out in the house in ways that they never did before, seeing parents doing things that they never may have paid attention to before, um, it'll be interesting to see what that impact is and how that might change things in the future. Will they be more apt to cook for themselves because they've participated in cooking with the family for the past year? Right. You know, we don't know yet. Yeah. It's so interesting. Also, um, they had the opportunity, so not necessarily in the beginning of quarantine, but as things lifted a little bit to bike, you know, because last summer they weren't going to camps. And so my mm. kids were meeting up with their friends and they were biking and they were, going to the school and just hanging out for hours, doing Lord knows what. Um, right. But they never would have had that, that just unstructured playtime, biking, my older one, biking all the way across town, you know, and wow. feeling free, you know. Yeah. It, it was a- Yeah, it's, I'm sorry, go ahead. It was a wonderful thing that came out of quarantine. I think you're right. I think that is a true benefit. And I think that is- kind of exciting because it's not free range parenting, um, which oh, is one extreme whole time on life 360. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course, of course. But in the meantime, they had some autonomy that, you know, gave them a little bit of a different experience than they might have had otherwise. Yeah. And it's, I think it's been really interesting and unique for these kids. And, and so it would be interesting for, for parents and families to build on that this year as, as we're getting back into being able to do things that we weren't able to do for quite some time. Um, it'll be very interesting to be able to see how that plays out and how that may change things for kids um, going forward. Yeah, I, I agree. We were talking about this offline before, and it'll be so interesting to see the research that that comes out of COVID. Um, so this, you know, this gets me thinking about a lot as we think about wrapping up today. Um, let's just talk a little bit about online resources. I know we're all sick and tired of being online, but just in case people are looking for more ideas, what are some of the great online opportunities you had mentioned to me? 
There, so one thing that has come out of this, which has been really interesting, is that the um, the online options have really increased. Museums have really beefed up their online presence. Um, the Smithsonian, which some people know but not everybody knows, is a collection of 19, I believe it's 19, 19 or 20 museums um, in Washington, D.C., as well as in New York. And... Um, they have something called the Smithsonian Learning Lab, which has digital content from all of their museums all across the Smithsonian's. And um, you can go there to look it up just because you're interested in looking up information about Apollo space programs, or you can use that for homework. Or you can use it as a family jumping off point because maybe you're interested in um, – exploring what happened at Jamestown and you're going to use that as your resource and then take a field trip. Um, that could be a lot of fun and you never know what can come out of these things. Um, there are, in addition to that, there's also the community resources, um, colleges have resources. And so I think people can really find quite a lot out there to help them. Yeah. Do you think things like Broadway that have been broadcasting their shows, some even for free, do you think they'll continue to do that? Oh, that'll be a really interesting question. Yeah. Um, because I, I think if they could figure out how to monetize that, then maybe they would continue. But I think, you know, their bread and butter is really the in-person shows. Yeah. But now if I were to put my marketing hat on, I would say it would be really smart for them to figure out a way to do that. Because if you think about it, they, they've been able to reach an entirely new audience. Yeah. You know, I mean, you have you've had programs like Hamilton that, of course, did the whole Disney Plus thing. Right. Um, but you don't have to have Disney Plus come and film a whole a whole presentation, a whole program for you. Um you know, you've, you've been able to look at behind the scenes programs and we've been able to see performances from different venues that have been broadcast all over the world. Um, whereas previously you would only have been able to go if you were in your local community. Okay. So I think there's gotta be some way I would love to see some way for them to be able to monetize those opportunities because, then I think they'll continue. I have a feeling doing it altruistically isn't sustainable, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm sure but they'll I, find a way. You what? I'm sure they'll find a way to monetize it. Yeah. I hope so. That hard. Yeah. I we watch so. ballet. I love going to see the Nutcracker. Mm -hmm. And normally my husband will go with me. I couldn't, I, I used to bring my kids to local performances. I don't know if I could drag them to the Boston Ballet now. But, right. I, you know, after doing all sorts of boy activities for several days, I said, we're watching the ballet. Like, this is mom's choice. <laughs> all, and they loved it. We put all the devices away. We turned down the lights and we had our little holiday twinkle lights on and uh -huh. watched the ballet on TV, on the big, you know, the big screen TV. And it was so fantastic. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And you never know. I mean, you, you're, you're, sons may come to you and say, mom, you know, there's physics involved in ballet. And, you know, that's like a whole new thing for them to explore. Yeah. So um, that can lead to that can be fun just as the ballet. And then you can make it a meta activity where you kind mm -hmm. of analyze the ballet and take it a step further too. Yeah. But I think the important thing is, is for parents really first not to stress themselves out, 
because I think that it's so easy for us as parents to be really concerned with making sure that we're doing everything possible that we can for our kids to learn. But I think also to sort of allow these activities and these opportunities to bubble up and evolve organically, um, that can be really a phenomenal experience for everyone. So hopefully you plant some seeds and things happen and things evolve and um, they're a great experience for kids and for the family and for everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. Well, this gives me a lot to think about. Thank you so much for joining me today. And I hope we've helped provide some background information on giftedness and what that really entails for people who might just be in the beginning of that journey of understanding it. Um, but really then for everybody, knowing that that um, nurturing creativity in our kids and in ourselves is also really important. And there are a lot of really great ways, both because of COVID and in spite of COVID, that we <laughs> have been able to do that. And so we can keep work, working on that and it will definitely be part of our ongoing well-being. So I thank you again for being here today. Hope everyone Thank enjoyed you. this episode and I'll be back next week. Thanks for joining me again today. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Healthy Habits for Life. If you loved today's episode, please follow me on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. These are so important and will enable others like you to find this podcast. Also, please share this podcast with your friends you know would also love it so we can get the word out. Thanks again for joining me. Until next week.